Well, good morning. Welcome to Christ Community Church. Uh, my name's Zach. If we haven't had the opportunity to meet yet, um, I'm one of the pastors here, along with Pastor Sue, who is somewhere in the wilderness right now, um, purposefully in the wilderness, not just there by accident. Um, that's her way of having a good time, I guess. So on behalf of both of us, I want to say welcome. We're, we're so glad you're here, and, and I want to extend a special welcome to those of you who are newer. Uh, we're so glad you joined us in worship this morning uh, as we engage with God together as one community. Now, most of you know I'm, I'm pretty new here as well. I, I started here back in January, so it's not quite been a year yet. And ever since, I've, I've been trying to understand the, the certain accent that this church has. So let me ex explain that. It's my belief that the majority of churches all speak the same language. They speak the language of, of Jesus Christ, right? This, this gospel language. But each denomination has their own accent. And, and as a Reformed church, we kind of accent certain things like God's sovereignty or, or uh, the idea of covenant or his kingdom and, and how it's being restored and, and one day will come and, and be made new and in the full. And so as a denomination, we, those are the accents that, that we have. It's like how America and England both speak English, but a very different form of English, right? But also, depending on where you are in America, there's different accents as well. The people in, here in California speak very different than what you'll find in, in Texas or, or what you'll find in, in Boston. And, and same with our denomination. Each church within it has their own kind of accent. And so we speak very different than San Jose CRC or, or uh, Fairfield CRC. We, we have this different accent, our, our own unique Sound And so since I've been here the, these last nine-ish months, I've been trying to learn what that unique accent is. And, and, and another thing that I've been focusing on is, is how to share that accent with everyone else so that they can know as well. And, and so a few months ago, our, our council started meeting. By the way, our council is filled with people who know our accent a lot more than I do. Uh, so that's why it was important that they were involved on this. Uh, but we're, we're meeting to, to kind of summarize this accent in, in a short and memorable way in, in something we call a mission statement, which is kind of this businessy sort of thing. In fact, a lot of churches don't even like that word mission statement because it implies a, a business. But if you think about it, we all have mission statements in just about everything we do. You know, as, as a parent you have a mission statement. Often it's, it's to raise up a child so that they can go out and, and be on their own one day. As a uh, employee, maybe your mission statement's to, to make enough money in, in a way that you enjoy so that you can have this work-life balance. Even just Jesus had a mission statement. Luke 19 said he had come to seek and save the lost. That was his mission. That was why he was here. That's, that's why he did what he did, to, to seek and save the lost. And so in, in these council meetings, we were discussing what we think the reason that Christ Community Church is here to do. And, and this is what we came up with. Christ Community Church exists to help people grow in the likeness of Jesus 
so that we can go out and share his love to the world. And so what I'd like to do over the next few weeks is to go more in depth on on what that truly means, what it means to grow in and and go out. And so that's what we're going to do today. What what does it mean to grow in the likeness of Jesus? And and why do we even want to do that? And and how do we do it? And to answer those questions, we're going to look at what Paul has to say to the church in Philippi. So if you want to open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, That's where we'll be reading from. If you're using a Bible from the pew, it's on page 1672. 1672. And and as always, if you don't have your own Bible, please come talk to me after the service. I'd love to to send you home with one as our church's gift to you this morning. All right, before we read, let's pray together. Oh Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of, of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So a little background info before we read this. Paul is writing to the church of Philippi, which he had helped start on his second missionary journey. And and Philippi is a unique place. It's a Roman colony, and and it's home to a bunch of retired politicians and, and military people military figures. And and so Roman nationalism there was very, very strong, which was a problem for for people proclaiming that Jesus is the new king, right? And and, and so those people that, that became followers of Jesus in Philippi, they often suffered resistance and, and often persecution because of that belief. And, and so Paul writes them this letter while he's actually in prison, kind of suffering what they're suffering as well. And, and Paul has no idea what the outcome of his imprisonment will be. But he writes earlier in the letter that the outcome doesn't really matter. Either way, it's good. There's kind of two options that he's looking at. One is that he would be executed, which means that he would finally be reunited with Jesus. So in Paul's eyes, he says, this is a wonderful outcome for me. But the other outcome is that he would be released. And Paul says, that means I get to go and and spread the gospel more, which is a great outcome for everyone else. Paul, Paul is saying that dying would be the preferred outcome, which is this paradoxical idea. Um, He he writes that to live is Christ and, and to die is gain meaning to live would be the continuation of his suffering in order to love others, which is his way of of participating in the story of Jesus or his way of living like Jesus. But then Paul turns around to the Philippians and says that, that you should also have that same mindset. He lets them know that he sees them struggling with, with similar struggles to what he's been experiencing, what they've seen him experience. And then he gives them encouragement and advice, and, and that's what we're reading here in Philippians chapter 2. Paul writes, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort of his love, it is if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, 
not looking for your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. At that, at that name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. At every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Thanks be to God. So Paul's advice is pretty, pretty simple. Essentially, he's telling the Philippian church to, to just be like Christ. He says that his joy would be complete if they're completely like-minded, if, if they should have, or if they were completely like-minded, and, and what does he say that mindset should look like? In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. It's that easy. <laughs> just be like Christ. And then Paul goes on to describe what Jesus was like. And it gets a little harder. First, he was selfless. Jesus refused to use the fact that he was God to his own advantage, right? If we look at the Gospels, we see examples of his selflessness over and over and over again. Christ had the very nature of God. He had the very power of God. He is God. And yet we never see him use that power for his own own benefit. He came and dwelt among us as, as a member of a conquered and oppressed people. And within that group of people, he was so poor that, that he had no place to lay his head at night. He had to be supported by the kindness of, of other people. You know, he could have came as a, as a conquering king in full glory and power, but he came to us as a suffering servant. And when Jesus did use the power he had, he, he didn't use it for his own advantage. He used it for the benefit of others. To heal the sick, feed the hungry, restore the broken, and, and forgive the unforgivable. Instead of continuing to oppress the powerless, as, as so many kings tend to do, he became a voice for them, a, represent, a representative of them. He became one of them willingly so that they may know the love that God has for each and every one of them. Jesus' equality with God led him to view his status not as a, as a uh, matter of privilege, but as a matter of selfless giving. So in our areas of life, when we're called to be like-minded with Christ, in our areas of life where we are blessed, how do we use those blessings? Do we use them for our own advantage, or do we use them to show love to others? Do we use our blessings and our power and our gifts, whatever we have, for our own selfish gain? Or do we use them to benefit our neighbors selflessly? Secondly, Jesus was humble. 
He made himself nothing. Took on the nature of a servant, or, or the Greek word for servant here actually is translated pretty often as, as slave. Slaves in, in Jesus' time and, and really all times were, were often deprived of, of just the basic human rights. And in the same way, Jesus refused to exploit the privilege of his deity to bring him higher. John records a story in his gospel on the night that Jesus was betrayed after his disciples had eaten. Jesus grabbed a bowl and a cloth and went around and washed each of his disciples' feet. A job that was certainly unworthy of a man that his disciples called Lord. In fact, Simon Peter, one of his disciples, almost refused to let Jesus wash his feet because the job was way too low for Jesus to do. And when Jesus finished washing the feet, this is what he said to them. You call me teacher and Lord, and and rightfully so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor his messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus humbled himself to the level of a, of a servant, to the level of a, a slave, and he calls us to do the same thing. Not just to those who we think deserve to be served, by the way, because none of the disciples deserve to be served. They would all end up abandoning Jesus at his moment of most need. We're called to humble ourselves before those who, who maybe deserve it and those who maybe we think don't. Lastly, Christ was obedient to God, obedient to the point of death, and not only death, but death on a cross. What, what, crucifixion it was the cruelest form of execution in the Roman Empire that they could come up with. It was also commonly reserved for the lower classes, typically, again, slaves. It involved excruciating pain and, and tremendous embarrassment. The victim was often tortured first in, in various ways. In Jesus' case, he was, he was flogged, which meant they kind of took this, this leather strap and, and cut it into strips, and, and they would tie little jagged stones and, and pieces of metal in it, and then he would whip him with it, and it wouldn't just hit him. It would dig into his skin and, and rip out his flesh. And when they were done with that, they stripped him naked and nailed him to a cross and hung him to die between two criminals. And as he was hanging there, he had to make the decision, as his lungs filled up with water, to uh, the, the choice of exhaustion and pain to lift himself up to breathe or to stop breathing altogether. And while all of this was going on, people from below him were mocking him and insulting him. And through all that, Christ was perfectly obedient because he knew what his death would accomplish. That through giving his life, we would receive ours. And so he was obedient to God, and and we're called to follow that example, to take up our crosses and follow him, which doesn't always mean death, but it does mean that we should listen to God and follow his ways. 
Jesus refused to use his own power to his advantage. He made himself nothing, taking on the nature of a slave, and, and he humbled himself to the point of dying the most excruciating and humiliating death that the Romans could possibly come up with. And that's the mindset that Paul says we're supposed to have. That's the likeness we should strive to grow in. Not as simple. <laughs> you know, we lo- live in a culture that, that doesn't really like sacrifice. And I say we because I'm definitely this way. You know, if I spend time volunteering, that's less time I can spend at home watching Netflix. If, if I tithe my 10%, that's less money I have for my next vacation. If I go to church on Sundays, that means I don't get to sleep in that day. So I often don't want to do those things for my own sake, for, for my own comfort. But we're called to follow the example of Christ, not the example of our culture. Which, by the way, this isn't a call to, to perfectly mimic the actions of Christ as they're revealed to us in the gospel, but it's, it's a call to mimic Christ's attitude, to mimic his posture. And, and that's going to look different for, for all of us. We see that through the churches Paul writes to, for, for the Thessalonian church, it meant to faithfully suffer for the gospel as Christ had suffered. For the church in Corinth, it, it meant not to exercise rights if doing so would, would mean that others would stumble. And for the church in Philippi, the, the one we read about today, it meant to be loving and united and humble and, and willing to put the interests of others ahead of their own interests. And for us, I think it's a combination of all of those. Our call to grow in the likeness of Christ isn't a call to, to relive the particulars of his life and his death, but, but a call to each believer to live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. C.S. Lewis, who is the author of, of Chronicles of Narnia, which I'm sure a lot of people have, have read or at least heard about here, but he was also an important Christian theologian and apologist, and, and he spoke about this in an interesting way. He spoke about what it is or how to grow in the likeness of Jesus in, in his book called Mere Christianity, and, and I think it's pretty helpful advice, but warning, it, it sounds a little crazy. He says it helps to pretend to be Jesus. Let me give a, a quick example. I, I know a lot of you know that I'm a big San Antonio Spurs fan. Um, for s- if some reason you don't know who they are, they're one of the greatest NBA franchises of all time. I can say that because we never had to recruit Kevin Durant to win us championships. So, are right, you still with me or sh- should I leave? Maybe I ruined that. Uh, but, but my entire childhood, there was a player on their team named Tim Duncan, who, again, one of the greatest players of all time, and he was basically my childhood hero. I would spend hours outside playing basketball in my driveway, pretending to be Tim Duncan. I would, I would shoot shots from the, the corner of the key or, or go to the corner of the court and work on my bank shot. And here's the thing. I, I was never going to be as good as Tim Duncan. For one, he's about a little over a foot taller than I am. For two, I wasn't that good at basketball. And like I said, he's one of the greatest players of all time. But in my pretending to be him, I became better. 
I became more like him. When C.S. Lewis talks about pretending to be Jesus, he's not trying to convince people to, to actually, you should become Jesus. But instead, to start viewing their lives through a Jesus lens. Start asking that question that we all know. What would Jesus do before we make our decisions? And when faced with the decision, try to make the choice that Jesus would make. And eventually, though, though it starts as pretend, we, we will become more like Jesus. Inevitably, we will see the places that, that need improvement in our lives, and, and we will be guided towards the path of more spiritual maturity. We will become embarrassed to discover the, the thoughts that Christ wouldn't have had and, and the unfulfilled duties that Christ would not, would not have neglected in our own lives. And, and through these realizations, we will be prompted more towards that obedience. If we commit to growing in the likeness of Jesus, we will notice that our lives will become more about giving rather than getting, be more about serving rather than, than being served. It'll become more about obedience rather than dominance. Our lives will be more centered around love love that we can share with the world. And notice what Paul says Jesus' reward was for living a life of giving, service, obedience, and love. God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that every knee shall bow at and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Now that's not going to be our reward. That's reserved solely for Jesus. But if we commit to the imitation of Christ, we will one day participate in his glory. And that's a goal to strive for. And, and the great news is that if you believe in Christ, the Holy Spirit is already at work in you to help you live a life, to equip you to be able to live a life like Christ. Let's pray. God, you are so good. Thank you for sending your son, not, not just for our salvation, but, but to be an example to follow, to show us what it means to give and to serve, to obey, what it means to love. And God, we acknowledge that, that we don't always follow this example perfectly, and so we ask for your help this morning. We ask for your Holy Spirit to be at work in our lives and, and to help us live more like Jesus did. To help us grow in his likeness. It's in your son's precious and holy name that we pray through the power of the Holy Spirit. All God's people said, Amen. Amen.